Good morning, Taylor. Good morning, Carl. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm going to uh, welcome you to a life in biography uh, to discuss your uh, wonderful novel, Wing Walkers. Before we get into the novel in particular, tell tell the listeners a little bit how you came to write this book. So uh, I was born on the Georgia coast um, and I live in Savannah. I was just always a big storyteller uh, growing up. Just um, uh, my mom would say that I just trailed her around the house, you know, telling her stories so often that she'd sometimes have to lock herself in a room just to get away. <laughs> and I like crawled out on the ground and, and keep telling her stories under the door. So, um, you know, writing and storytelling started, uh, you know, long ago with me. And I think I did gravitate toward a lot of Southern writers. I mean, I, I, I read very widely growing up, but um, I was attracted to Faulkner. I think my first um, uh, book that I read of his, or the first story, I think, was The Bear, which I came across in high school. And then um, fell in love with Faulkner in college. You know, I think that I, I hadn't come across anything else like it. Just even the prose itself was something I hadn't come across, you know, thunderous lightning and storm and cavalcades. It sounded like just the, the rhythm of the of the the force of the language, you know. Um, and um, yeah, I majored in English at the University of Georgia, uh, graduated in 2005, started writing fiction toward the end of my undergraduate career and then spent about a decade just grinding away working at office jobs and writing in the margins of life before work, after work, during lunch, um, in the evenings, on the weekends, you know, um, and just grinding away at it, submitting stories, working on novels. And it uh, took about 10 years until my first novel uh, got published, Fallen Land. That was 2016. And, um, you know, a number of novels have followed. And this book really started for me in 2016 when I was on book tour, my first ever book tour, um, and it was for Fallen Land. And I was in Oxford, Mississippi for the Oxford conference for the book. And the day after my event, I kind of had the day off to explore town. And I was in Square Books in Oxford, which um, I'm sure a lot of readers, you know, know about or have visited. One of the most storied bookstores uh, in the country, definitely in the South. And the walls are just covered in all of this literary memorabilia. And when I was on the staircase landing, I looked over and I saw this shadow box on the wall and it had a photo of Faulkner inside of it. But it wasn't the Faulkner that we're used to seeing, you know, with the pipe and looking very distinguished with silver hair and looking like this dawn of Southern literature who would win the Nobel Prize or, or already had. You know, he looked like he was barely out of his teens, skinny guy, and he was in his flying uniform. And he cut a pretty rakish figure. He had his flying cap kind of cocked on bold, and he had a rattan cane, and he had a little hand-rolled cigarette stuck in the corner of his mouth. Come to find out later that his mother took those photographs. Um, <laughs> but it just, it really kicked off or sparked my imagination because, one, I remembered how much aviation was in his early work that I'd kind of forgotten about. Not in the novels that we're used to, you know, hearing about and, you know, Light in August and Absalom, Absalom and 
those, but in, you know, the short stories and flags in the dust and in, you know, soldiers pay and all of those, there's all this aviation I kind of forgotten about. Um, and I grew up, I was always interested in aviation myself. My dad was a pilot and I was what he called a waffle belly, which is a kid that just always wants to go to the airport and watch the airplanes take off and land. And, you know, if you do it enough and you lean against the fence, you know, the chain link fence watching, you become a waffle belly. <laughs> and so um, I started picking up, you know, the Blockner biography and memoirs by uh, Faulkner's brothers, who, as you know, uh, I'm sure all, you know, were pilots and really realized that that Faulkner had been a waffle belly, too, at least in his era, you know, long before chain link fences. Yes. And. Um, I was just uncovering all these anecdotes from his life, from this aviation angle that, that just stuff you could not make up. I mean, it felt like uncovering, you know, buried treasure, the hot air balloonist that would come to Oxford that they called the balloonatic, you know, who landed on the, their hen house one year or, you know, Faulkner, you know, uh, building this, this airplane, boy sized airplane out of bean poles and wrapping paper and trying to fly it off a bluff behind the house, you know, all these stories. Um, but I didn't have a novel out of it and I wasn't interested in some, some kind of nonfiction with it until in the Blotner biography in chapter 36, I came across this tidbit um, when Faulkner was at the opening of the Shushan airport in new Orleans in 1934, now the lakefront airport, which they opened during Mardi Gras to, you know, all this fanfare. And we know that, you know, the novel Pylon largely came out of that. But in the Blotner biography, it says that that Sunday morning, he showed up, he didn't come home Saturday night with the family he was staying with. And he showed up Sunday morning, hung over and told this wild tale of the night he'd spent with two aviators from the meet, a man and a woman who were uh, on a motorcycle. He got in a ride with them. And he'd spent the night uh, drinking, flying, and carousing with them. And then I could find nothing else about who they were or what kind of night they had or anything. And so that to me was the story waiting to be told. Who are these pilots slash motorcyclists and how did their lives intersect with Faulkner's and what might the consequences have been? And that really became the spark for the whole book. Well, that's really fascinating because, as you say, we don't uh, we don't know more about the story than Faulkner was willing to tell. The other the other interesting thing is that uh, Faulkner used the material in the sense of the flyers and the air show and so on. That's all in pylon, right? Uh, but he he's he's telling a different story there. There's no motorcycle there, right? Uh, there isn't that story, uh, but it's so close to the grain of Faulkner's experience that anyone who knows his, his biography uh, or his red pylon will be fascinating to, fascinated to, you know, to see, to read what you, what you make of this, because it's like, uh, and I don't know if you like the term biographical novel, uh, a lot of biographical novels uh, stretch the facts, they have to if they're novels, because there are things biographers can never know, historians can never know. But you're doing something, to, for my money, something much more specific, which is you're really getting into the grain of his experience, you know, the way he looked at flying 
as opposed to telling a more external story about, yeah, he was interested in aviation and he flew his own planes and so on. It's like uh, a novel that Faulkner could have written uh, a kind of parallel universe to Pylon, for example. It is. It's interesting you say that because there are ways in which I thought of it as that as I was writing it. Here was, you know, as we know, Pylon is not Faulkner's best work, right? He mm -hmm. and I think he wrote it in something like six weeks while taking a break from Absalom, Absalom. And I think part of me wanted Pylon to be him to have put more into it and more of his love of flying or something. I wanted it to be more than it was or to be mm -hmm. different than it was. And so in some ways I did think about like right the way that Zeno and Della, the characters, I wanted them to almost be as if they could be Faulkner's characters. Yeah. That makes I think, sense. I think, yeah. You know? It does make sense. You, and I think you do that. I think they are mm -hmm. very Faulknerian characters. And so there's this idea that somehow Yes, exactly as you say. And in a parallel universe, this was a book that's almost, you know, could be Faulkner's book in some ways, you know, and how much of I even had this idea at different points of are Della and, and Faulkner in some ways, how are they characters of Faulkner, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, even in the book, you know, in that they are there seems to be some awareness that among on Della's part that she's part of a story that she that someone is weaving that she's not in control of as yeah, somehow yeah. maybe we all are but who is in control of it you know and in some in some way maybe there's ties there you know um that, that's right yeah yeah I felt when I was reading Pylon for example that you know the reporter in the the novel who's observing these flyers and becomes obsessed with them uh, is never given a name mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he he is kind of like Faulkner he is like this waffle belly uh, and he he's he's um, what's the right word he, he his experience is vicarious he does go up in a plane once but he's not a pilot uh, and he so admires and is fascinated with these people who have no roots in the sense that they're not tied to the ground. They're not just in airplanes, but they're, they're rootless people. They move from air show to air show. Uh, and so he becomes fascinated that, that is the reporter, uh, as Faulkner was, mm -hmm. with these kinds of characters. And what you do in the novel, it seems to me, is you, you, you take that reporter uh, and you make him Faulkner, uh, in a sense. Uh, the way Faulkner meets them and observes them. And as I said in my, my New York Sun review of your novel, I'm not going to give away the story, but, you know, right down to when he, when he writes this note right. to them, because uh, he, he knows they're on the way to Hollywood, he's, he's giving them a kind of tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's really an amazing story. Was it a hard novel to write? Um. At times, yes, but I did feel there are novels that feel like you have a tailwind and there are novels yeah. that feel like they're uphill the whole time and you kind of are banging your head against the wall. And I did feel a tailwind here. I felt at times as if I was sure that I was on the right track and I knew I was just going with it, if that makes sense. I didn't have a lot of doubt, I yeah. guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. I felt like I'd found something here that 
um, was a story that I uniquely could tell by having the the long the the affinity with Faulkner and his work, the interest in aviation that gave me the grounding for that. You know, it's something that I couldn't choose, but it's just the way I grew up. And I think Faulkner grew up certainly interested in aviation from the time he was a boy, and that was kind of necessary to have that perspective on it. And so I felt as if I was really on to something. Number one, number two, it ended up in a very personal way for me being a novel that I think was hugely in some ways healing or encouraging because I wrote it. I started it in 2016. My first novel had come out in January, 2016. And I had been working pretty much my whole life to have a novel published by a big New York press. I mean, that was my dream. Right. And Mm -hmm. certainly my entire adult life had been spent making a lot of sacrifices, tons of who knows how many rejections, you know, two novels that I've written and thrown away before Fallen Land had come out. I think I have, you know, my spreadsheet of short story submissions, something like 500 submissions of which, you know, 30 of them have were accepted, you know? So just a lot going through a lot. And I had achieved what I'd set out to do in January of that year. And then I did end up feeling very alone soon after that because it's kind of, it felt a little bit like now what, you know, you've worked so hard to reach this dream and I'd lived a somewhat monastic existence for the last several years. You know, I'd gone through an early divorce and I just felt I didn't really have anyone to share it with. And I felt um, in some ways alone and in studying and getting deeper into Faulkner and his biography and seeing all of the, you know, critical, romantic, emotional, financial, all the hardships, right. That he went through. Yeah. In some ways I took a lot of strength from that, that I'm not alone. This is the story of being an artist. Right. And we look back at these more legendary figures like someone like Faulkner that who's in the canon and we sometimes think of them as that they were just geniuses and somehow things were easy for them right yeah and so going through that process um and and getting deeper into it I I don't know it 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 felt very much like um it was it was good for me somehow I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think your 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 writer's experience parallels Faulkner in a lot of ways. I mean, he he wrote an early novel, Elmer, which he never published. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first couple of novels were were certainly uh, respectable, uh, but the Faulkner that we know, you know, doesn't really come around till uh, his third and really his fourth novel, The Sound of the Fury, his first work of genius. So he's got a good ten years there of struggle. Uh, before, in any sense, he he makes it, and and he's still worried about money for for a good deal of good part of his career, but he has those that 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 same you know almost sense of early failure and why am I doing this and and how am I going to support myself? The other thing you said about having a tailwind. I mean, I don't think there's any correlation between how long it takes to write a novel or uh, almost anything. Uh, and the quality of it. Um, You know, Faulkner struggled for years over certain novels, and others, like As I Lay Dying, 
Uh, he said he wrote it in six weeks. It was maybe a little longer than that. There were some revisions, but it did come very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Things, as you say, fell into place. Uh, and certainly As I Lay Dying is a great, great novel. Uh, so the time you take, the actual literal time it takes to, to write the novel is, is no predictor of quality. I agree. And I've learned to um, remember that myself when things are either come really fast and you think, is this too fast? Can it not be good? Or it takes a really long time and you think, is it, is it not good because it's taking me so long and it's going slow? And just remember that both ways yeah. can work out, you know? The same way that I, you know, I, I think about sometimes if you're writing in doubt, that doesn't mean it's bad, you know, or if you're feeling really good about it, it doesn't mean it's really good. It's like either way can work out, you know, you just stay after it. Yeah, that's why I sometimes think that uh, biographers will look at uh, a writer's letters and look at Faulkner's letters in particular. As he got older, he got worried about, well, am I losing my inspiration? Was I, am I as good as I was before? And sometimes he thinks, well, maybe I'm not. And and certain biographers will latch on to that as if that's the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, just because he has these feelings that maybe the the whatever book he's writing isn't as good as some of the earlier stuff, that 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 he knows something. He he doesn't know something. He's 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 checking himself, so to speak. He's he's wondering, he's growing older and wondering about whether he can sustain this career. But that's not the same thing as saying he's declining, I guess I would say. Absolutely. I've never thought of that, but you're so right. He's just being an artist. I mean, he's yeah. just that it comes with the territory. If he didn't have that doubt, you know, didn't have doubts like that, it just wouldn't be natural even. And he, and he wouldn't, or he probably wouldn't be writing as well because he would just think, you know, if you just think everything that you're doing is amazing, then, you know, yeah, you're not being right. critical enough, right? One of the things that I say in my New York Sun review of your novel is it, I feel it, I call it Faulknerian, but it's, it's a sort of, and we've touched on this already, um, but I think there's more to say. It is an extension of not just sort of the characters and the themes of Faulkner's work, but of the form. I mean, the form of your novel, the way you have these intersecting stories of, on, on the one hand, the Flyers, Zeno and Della, and on the other hand, of Faulkner, you know, it reminds me, again, as I said in the review, of the Wild Palms, that sense that you need one story to counterpoint or lift up the other story. Yeah, it's something that I have gone back to that form a couple times now. I found myself, and, and it was not in this case or in the past cases something that I sat around and thought about with a bird's eye view and thought, this is how I want to structure it to, to do this. It just was something that came, happened pretty organically and yet just felt right that somehow the interplay of these storylines is going to bring more out of each of them. And one of the challenges with it was that the, you know, I think a lot of sometimes now, you know, it, readers aren't as patient as you would like them to be sometimes. Um, and so I, w there was some worry that the actual storylines don't intersect until pretty late in the book. Right. Right. So the counterpoint of the storylines going back and forth has, they have to feel like they're related without actually touching one another. They're just That's... dancing around each other the whole time. And that is something that I had to um, 
work on to try to you know how how to do that um yeah well that's the same in the wild palms too mm -hmm. i mean they're two two in a sense separate stories but if you try to separate them out, which Faulkner objected to when it was going to go into paperback and say, well, let's separate these two stories. He said, no, you, you know, he, he and he wrote it that way. That is, he, he wrote one story and another story, he kept going back and forth between the two stories as as a reader does in the novel. Um, the other thing about um, your fictional characters, um, you create, they're so obsessive. And there's a, an obsessiveness to the prose, almost maniacal, you know, devotion to the life they have, you know, until almost the end when, when it, it's in a way it's, well, I won't give away more of the story, but it becomes almost too much for one of the characters um, is, you know, again, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's Faulkner. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that kind of obsession and um, involvement with the characters also, I think, uh, you know, you do talk about his early life and his, you know, quest to fly and interest in flying and reading boys magazines and so on, that kind of thing. But I don't think we ever lose sight of the fact that this is the story of a writer. Absolutely. That was um, something I think that I discovered along the way, too, that the very interesting to me way in which writing somehow is like wing walking mm. in the sense that you have and I didn't think about that before this kind of came as as the writing was happening but you know you have Della who is up there without a parachute for everyone to see if she falls everyone sees it yeah. and there's a, a celebrity obviously there's something with celebrity going on with that in all kinds of ways but there's a way in which it seemed to me that writing and the and the story of Faulkner and his life in some ways is putting yourself up there on the wing to face all of this potential criticism, both praise and um, the opposite of that. And you're really putting it up there. And yeah, people are looking to see if you're going to crash. Exactly. And, and part, <laughs> they almost, you know, there almost sometimes seems to be this sense that they want you to because that will be, be even more drama right oh, yes and so all of that seemed to be um somehow interrelated as it was going as the the book was happening the way in which you know uh the parallel between those things and the daring of it and i think that one thing that i really discovered um you know and because you know you know Faulkner so well and have been involved with his work and and all your work with it, and but the average even well educated reader doesn't know that much about. In my experience, what I found, I think about who Faulkner was as a person as much. Sure. In my in my experience, he gets lumped in with Hemingway and Fitzgerald and these other American modernists, male writers. But when you think about it, it was so different. His experience was so different. He was such an outsider compared to them. Here's Hemingway and Fitzgerald, right? 1920s Paris, and they know they're part of the avant-garde, and they are getting all this acclaim. And here's Faulkner at home in, in Oxford. You know, his dad, you know, when he's young, telling him he writes smut, and his uncle saying he won't amount to anything, and the town calling him count, no count. And when he goes to Europe, you know, the story being that he sees, right, James Joyce in a cafe and he's too shy yeah. to even go speak to him. That's such a different 
story around him that I think we lose. Most folks don't know, right? Don't know that side, especially, uh, you know, as he gets more and more, you know, acclaim, it's less like that. But certainly at home in Oxford, he's still facing a lot of this. That I just found wanted to communicate that side of his story that I think a lot of folks don't know. That's true. I mean, even when he travels, when he is in Europe as a young man in 1925, he spends about six months there. And for instance, he goes into Italian mountain towns. But what does he do? He just, you know, he gets to know the locals, even, you know, spends a day working with them. I mean, it's, he's not sitting around. I mean, he was in Paris, but he didn't sit around thinking of himself as a writer in a cafe. Right. He just didn't do that. He was, as you say, an outsider. He was something different. And I think that accounts, too, for the fact he never liked the literary life. He never liked that anyway. Uh, but it, it accounts for, you know, when people, when he's, you know, when he didn't want to answer questions or this is what people thought, he'd say, well, I'm just a farmer. Well, he actually was. I mean, he did own a farm and he was. And I found out uh, in, in the research for my biography that he knew a lot about things like soil conservation. I mean, when he said he was a farmer, he meant it. It's not that he was denying that he was a writer, but being a writer and 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 being something else, I mean, Faulkner was, as you say, very different from the writers of his generation. Right, exactly. And, and um, I hope that, you know, more people come to realize that because I find that just interesting and endearing somehow and... Um, you know, that was just something and I, I had no idea. You know, I had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, on Twitter, I was tweeting about my biographical work on Faulkner and, and somebody tweeted, you know, well, he, his life just isn't as interesting as, you know, Hemingway's or Fitzgerald's. Really? Then you don't know Faulkner's life. Right. And but folks don't. They don't. That's the thing. Yeah. Even literary people. I mean, who think, you mm-hmm. know, oh, well. You know, Hemingway led the glamorous life and Fitzgerald and so on. And and Faulkner was just, you know, off somewhere um, do, right, doing his writing, which which in part is true. But there's there. He's fascinating. Kind of a mystery, too. Uh, right. And you preserve in a sense in your novel, you preserve some of that history. You don't you don't try to give us what Faulkner is thinking as he's looking at these flyers. We know, and this is, I think, the really sort of clever and genius thing at the end of the, the toward the end of the novel is when he writes that note and we suddenly re- realize how much he's been taking in. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So. There's, there's something that remains enigmatic about him. And he um, obviously fostered that to a large degree, you know, not yeah. answering questions, but also the tales he told about his flying exploits and all these tall tales. So he was really playing with truth and fiction in his own life, right? And it almost seems at times some of the tales he would tell, he's practicing them for things that maybe would find their way in his work, right? And there's just such a a little bit of like a rascal character to that or something, something very endearing. Like he's, he's always playing a little bit with the audience or something. What's true, what's not true, you know, is what I'm telling you true or not? I think all these things I, I found fascinating about him. Yeah, absolutely. So are you done with Faulkner? Um, I think for now. Yeah. Um, I don't have another um, 
thing in the pipeline. Um, I, I do think that there's a possibility that of coming back around at some point and, and finding another entry point, because I yeah. do feel that my relationship with Faulkner is certainly not over. If that makes sense, it's stronger yeah. than it yeah. ever was because he's, he became during this, he went from just being an, an author that I really respected and enjoyed his work and did attach to early on to being more of almost a, a guiding light for me, if that makes sense sure. um, in yeah. terms of his story. So I felt a much deeper connection that I think at some point might lead to another entry into another story, but certainly nothing I'm working on at the moment. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Is there something I should have asked you, Taylor, that you want to say? Nothing that I can uh, think of, as especially, um, one thing that has been fun that you'll you I'm sure you have stories with that you were saying that you sent it um the book to uh uh Dean's um you know husband um, yeah mm -hmm. yeah I have run into both uncovered and run into some very that's one of the the fun things about this book has been coming across people and the kind of strange intersections with people from his life or somehow having some connection. Okay, so, now, yeah, um, Taylor, Taylor, be prepared because I sent my review to Larry Wells. He was married to Dean Faulkner Wells, who was Faulkner's niece, the daughter of his brother, Dean, who died in an air crash. And Larry said, oh, I got to read this book. Larry also has written uh, novels uh, and is the founder of Yaknapatafa Press, named after Faulkner's mythical county. So you may hear from Larry. I would love that. I would love that. It's been one of the fun, one of the most fun things with this has been that kind of thing. Um, I, while I was writing it, I was interested in the character Robert Baby Bunton, who um, has a chapter named after him and was uh, one of the, uh, you know, someone who gave, was had been a barnstormer, had been a, a test pilot during World War One, and gave Faulkner flying lessons during their days at Ole Miss as you know. And so, but I couldn't find very much information about him. And I found a, a newspaper column that by his grandson, who then I ended up reaching out to who owns um, the North Side Sun newspaper in Jackson, Mississippi, Wyatt Emory. Right. Yeah. And so we ended up, he was able to give me more information. And then I met him on the book tour. He came to the event and he says he has old tapes of his grandmother telling stories about Faulkner. Um, oh my god! Fun. Yeah. So I said, yeah. if you find this, please, you know, um, he's like, I need to digitize this stuff. I'm like, we got to hear this, you know. <laughs> um, and then it, at my Greenville event at M Judson Books, um, I, you know, I did my event, the reading, and then I'm sitting there, um, signing books, or it's the, I'm about to sign books, and the first woman in line is Helen Lyman's niece. Oh my. Yeah. Um, and I was so interested because I couldn't find any uh, photos of Helen. Um, so I just kind of had the descriptions in Blotner and whatever else I could find in, in Faulkner's own writing. Um, so that was pretty neat, too. Just the, the folks that kind of come out of the, the woodwork, so to speak, yeah. you know, that those, have connections. For those who don't know their Faulkner, Helen Lyman was a, was a woman before she was a Lyman, Helen Baird. Uh, was a woman that Faulkner fell in love with uh, and uh, dedicated actually a whole book of poems to in uh, the novel Mosquitoes. So, yeah, that's quite a find. 
And I'll say that that was, I wrote a good bit of the book in New Orleans in the summer mm. of 2016. Ah. Um, I have pretty deep connections there. My parents went to Loyola and my aunt still lives there. And a couple of my really good friends live there. And so I can usually find somewhere to kind of, you know, crash for a while. And in 2016, one of my best friends from growing up had, he was redoing this back house in the upper ninth ward. And he said, if you come and help me finish this, he was going to do like it rent, turn it into a rental property, then you can stay there. So um, I spent almost the whole summer of 2016 in New Orleans working on this book. And at the time I was also, I went through a big heartbreak. So I knew that Faulkner had been heartbroken by Helen, who he'd met in New Orleans. The person that, you know, I was heartbroken over was from New Orleans. And so it was kind of this strange parallel of, you know, I knew that he must have walked around the corner, you know, in the middle yeah. of the night, unable to sleep with his, you know, heart hurting, you know, out of these same streets even. Yeah. So there was just strange parallels like that. That Well, um, yeah, Taylor, it sounds like the book was part of your destiny. It sometimes felt like that. It did. <laughs> well, that's great. It was wonderful to talk to you. And, uh, you know, we'll keep in touch and, and maybe do this again. Uh, uh, re I recommend this novel highly, Wingwalkers. It's just, just really a thrill to read. Well, thank you so much for the kind words about it. I really, really appreciate it. And someone with your knowledge of Faulkner and, and everything, just um, it's really fun to, to talk to you about it. Well, good. I'm going to send this uh, link to this podcast to Larry Wells. So he's going to read my review as well as listen to this podcast, I'm sure. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank <laughs> you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Well, I'll say goodbye and I'm going to post this link. I will send it to you and you can send it to whoever you like. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Carl. Uh, yep. I look forward to staying in touch. Okay, good. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.